0: Hey, y'all, and welcome to the Feasting on Truth podcast. I'm Erin Warren, and we are in the second half of our study, By His Grace, For His Glory, an inductive study on the Book of Romans. And even though we are over halfway through, it's never too late to jump in. We meet on Zoom on Tuesday nights at 7.30 p.m. Eastern, and you can find more information about the study and how to sign up at feastingontruth.com slash Bible study. If you're new to Bible study, or you have questions about why we study inductively, or what that even means, or you just aren't sure where to start when it comes to Bible study, I also want to invite you to check out my new book, Feasting on Truth, Savor the Life-Giving Word of God. It's a book about overcoming the obstacles that hold us back when it comes to Bible study and how to study in a way that breathes life into our weary souls. You can read more about it on my site as well, feastingontruth.com books, and both those links are in the show notes. Today we are moving into a section of Romans with chapter 9, and I'll admit that this and the next two chapters are hard, they can be confusing, and they're also highly debated. This is when I'm so thankful for those commentaries and theologians who are much smarter than me, but it's good practice for us. It's important for us to approach his word first and allow the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Um, It's important that we learn to endure, even through the hard passages of scripture, that we don't just skip over the confusing stuff or the hard things, but that we press in and ask the Holy Spirit to guide us. Here is Romans 9. hey y'all welcome to by his grace for his glory we are jumping into romans chapter nine tonight but before i get there Um, I want to open us up in prayer. Father, I just thank you so much for your word, and I thank you for the words that Paul wrote in the book of Romans that still speak such deep truths for us today. Lord, I just pray um, over our time together. I pray over my mouth, Lord, that it would share your truth. Lord, that it would be uplifting. Lord, that it would... Bring um, us closer to you, Lord, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear um, and hearts that are open and willing to receive, Lord, what it is that you have to teach us. Lord, I just pray that your Holy Spirit come and fill this time. Um, Lord, we um, long to know you, to see your glory, um, to see your truth and to know you more. So Lord, um, we invite you into this time and it's in your name I pray. Amen. We are officially moving in to the second half of the book of Romans, um, starting with chapter nine. Um, And before we get there, I want to kind of go back through some of our context. So um, context, as we have um, seen throughout this whole study, is really important in the book of Romans. Um, It's broken down into four sections. The first two sections, Romans 1 through 4, were really this picture of our need for a Savior versus God's righteousness, Um, how we were all common in our sin and common in our salvation. And there's this beautiful turning point in uh, about halfway through chapter three, but now um, God has revealed his glory um, apart from um, it, through Jesus. And so um, then we move into the second section, Romans five through eight, and it's really this picture of what our life looks like because of Christ. And it ends with this huge crescendo um, we we talk about having peace with God, um, how we are dead to sin and alive in Christ, how we are walking through sanctification here on earth that we still struggle with our sin. However, we are covered, forgiven. Um, we find mercy and grace in him and we have his Holy Spirit helping us as we go um, through this life. And despite our struggle, we are more than conquerors. Um, And so um, I want to kind of remind us of some key verses um, we have talked about throughout all of this. Um, Paul really starts in Romans um, 16 and 17, um, with this, uh, kind of thesis statement for, um, for the, for his entire book, he says, for, I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also the Greek. If you'll remember, he is writing this letter to the church in Rome, um, a church he had not visited yet. Um, that was experiencing some disunity between two ethnic groups, between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. Um, because Jewish believers had been exiled from Rome, the church was largely um, Gentile. And so when the Jews were allowed back into Rome, there there were a lot of clashes over some of the more ethnic um differences and so Paul is writing to reset the foundation um and um he says you know in Romans 2:11 that he shows no partiality Romans 4:11 Abraham was to be the father of all who believe because regardless of their circumcision um Romans 5:18 therefore as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men um and then Romans 8, 14, for all who are led by the spirit are the sons of God. So um, I think that there is a lot of historical context that we miss um, because we do not know scripture the same way that they did. And so, um, and if you noticed as you were studying, Paul quotes, um, I I counted a dozen, I counted 12, but there and. My guess is, there may even be more. Quotes twelve Old Testament verses within um, this one chapter. And so for us, what I want us to remember is that when we see these verses, we look at just the words that he um, that he that Paul quotes. But for the Jews that are listening to this letter, it would have triggered for them the whole story because they knew the Torah. They knew, the, the the prophets, um, what we know as the Old Testament, they knew intimately. And so it was ingrained in their history. It was ingrained in their culture. It was how the preservation of scripture was passed on. Remember, they taught it to their children. And so for them to hear some of these verses, it would have triggered the entire context of those verses. So that's why it's really important when we are studying, particularly in these next three chapters, because they are going to Um, Paul is going to reference um, a lot of Old Testament verses in these three chapters, is for us to do the extra work of going back to those verses and reading them in context and seeing what else is going on and what the story is, what's going on in the history of those, so that it helps us better understand what's going on. I think when we get this chapter, we are often tempted to shift back into that self-centered approach. Of scripture, where we ask the question, What does this say about me? And I think um, we might do it out of fear. Um, We might do it out of confusion. We want to know, What does this say about me? Um, And as I was really wrestling through this passage, I just felt God continue to press upon me tell them who I am. Tell them who I am. This is not a passage about us. This is a a passage about God. And so I want us to remember who our God is. Um, We have already learned through Paul's words that he is the righteous judge. There's no flaw in his judgment. Um, He is just, he is merciful. He's full of grace. He is worthy of glory and honor and um, praise. He, and thanksgiving, he is the creator. Now remember that the word creator doesn't mean he's creative. Um, for them, being creator meant what comes first is chief. It carried the idea and the intonation of sovereignty, that he is sovereign over his creation. And we're actually going to see um, a very artistic example in Romans 9 of an artist having sovereign control over um. Over the creation, and so it points to his eternal nature that he existed before creation, Um, and it helps us remember that he is bigger than anything we can imagine. Um, So Romans nine like I said kicks off a new section Romans nine through 11 um, that is a connecting of the old Testament to the new. Um, it's showing how Jesus is the fulfillment of these old Testament promises and really showing how God is creating a new multi-ethnic family through, um, the blood of Jesus Christ. Um, so I want us to remember what Paul has just said in Romans eight, 14 through 17. and heirs, um, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So Paul has been breaking down the pride of the spiritual position of the Jewish people, saying that being born a Jew is not enough, that we're all common in sin, common in salvation. God has created a new spiritual family. And that was the plan all along. I love um, the Bible project has amazing videos that break down um, scripture, um, each book of the Bible and kind of help explain. Um, they have done a ton of work to kind of help um, show the structure that we sometimes miss um, because it is in English versus in ancient Hebrew or um, Greek, whether it's new or Old Testament. Um, and I love how they talk about the breakdown of chapter 9, 10, and 11. Um, Chapter 9 focuses on Israel's past, chapter 10, Israel's present, and chapter 11, Israel's future. And so with that in mind, let's get to Romans chapter 9, um, starting in verse 1. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears witness in the holy spirit that i have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart for i wish that i myself were accursed and cut off from christ for the sake of my brothers my kinsmen according to the flesh the they are israelites and to them belong adoption the glory the covenants the giving of the law the worship and the promises to them belong the patriarchs and from their race according to the flesh is the Christ who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. Y'all, Paul starts with an incredibly strong statement saying that he wishes he could go to hell in place of, and um, all of his brothers and sisters who are Jewish people who do not believe in Jesus as Christ could go to heaven. Um, the It says in here he has Unceasing anguish. That Greek word is in intense emotional pain, consuming grief. Paul was unceasingly grieving with a consuming grief for his fellow Jews who did not believe in Jesus. He could see that they held every key to the door and yet were not willing to unlock it and walk through. And y'all. I gotta tell you, I find this really challenging. Um, It really challenges me. Do I have a passion for the lost like he does? Um, I can remember several years ago hearing David Platt speak about being on a mission trip. And um, if you've never seen David Platt speak, he gets, he's extremely emotional and very passionate when he speaks. And um, he was describing this scene And I can't remember where he was, but it was custom in that culture that when someone passed away, that they would um, light their bodies on fire and send them down this river. And he said, he remembered seeing these bodies on fire floating down the river and weeping because he knew they were burning in hell because they did not know Jesus. And I think for us, this challenges me Paul is so grieved for his brothers that do not know God or that do not know Jesus, that do not have faith in Jesus, who are so close to um, and hold everything in their hand to be able to believe and yet refuse God's way, God's plan that he had laid out, that he would be willing to put himself in hell on their behalf so that they could come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. And um, I want us to be challenged by that. Do we have a heart for the loss like that? Are we so burdened for those who do not know Jesus um, that we would um, experience that consuming grief for those um, who do not know him? The Jewish people had everything. They were the chosen line. They had covenants, the presence of God in their midst, all of the promises, the heritage, all of this in their flesh, and yet they denied Christ. Um, And as Paul wraps this up, there's this really amazing little nuance in his language that I think we might miss um, on our side of the cross, but he says, Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. He doesn't say, God is God over all, or the Father is God over all. He says, Jesus who is God overall? He is pointing to the deity of Jesus—that he is God, that he is God the Son, and that he is overall just as God the Father is overall. Um, he is saying that Jesus is the Messiah. He is not some nice to have. He is not—it's okay if you don't believe in Jesus if you're if you're doing the law if you're born Jewish. He's saying it's only through Jesus, God, the son. Um, And then Paul continues here. um, And there are a few, this will probably sound familiar because a lot of Romans 9 really um, in this section kind of echoes the beginning of Romans 3. So he's going to continue here. So just because some of those people do not believe and are cut off because of their unbelief in Jesus, um, He's saying that doesn't mean that God has failed to fulfill his promise to the Israelites. So this is the section we're entering that really relies heavily on knowledge of the Torah um, and of the prophets, what we would call the Old Testaments. Pick him up in verse six. But it is not as though the word of God has failed for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel and not all are children of not all are children of Abraham because they are his offspring. but Through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise who are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said about this time next year, I will return and Sarah will have a son. So if you remember back to um, our teaching on on Romans chapter four, we went through the story of Abraham. And so um, you should recognize that verse nine Quoting in Genesis um, 18, 17 through 19 is when um, Sarah was first named as the mother of the line of promise. So, um, what, uh, Paul is really saying here is he is reminding them that there is a new spiritual family and a promise that is made to all, not just one people group. Remember, this is about creating a new multi-ethnic family that God is opening up his family through the blood of Jesus Christ, not by flesh, but by faith. Um, And so he uses the story of Isaac. Isaac is the line of promise, Um, but not all of Abraham's descendants, not all of his sons were the line of promise. So Ishmael um, was a son of Abraham. He was blessed by God. He did father a nation. However, he was not the line of promise, the line of promise. And so anytime I say the line of promise, I also want you to think the preservation of the line that led to Jesus. That is God saving a remnant, which we're going to get to that as well. So the line of promise is the line that led to Jesus. And so he, um, not every son of Abraham was in the line of promise. So he's using this as an example to say, just because you were born of Abraham, it doesn't mean that you're part of the promise. And y'all, that would have been shocking to them. Because again, remember that Paul is writing to also help break down that pride of spiritual position, that it is no longer about the the family that you were born into or your, your fleshly heritage, but by your faith in Jesus. descent was not enough to save you. Um, he says that the nations will be blessed through Abraham's line. This is a messianic prophecy. This is what I was saying about it leading. Um, it's the preservation of the bloodline for the coming of Jesus. And he's saying they were not chosen because of anything they did right. It was not because of any works that that line was chosen. It was just the line that God chose to bring um, through his sovereignty, to bring salvation that would bless all who believe. Um, So Paul's going to reiterate this again with um, the next um, family in the line, verse 10. And not only so, but also when Rebecca had conceived children by one man, our forefather, Isaac, Though they were not yet born and had done nothing good or bad in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of him who calls, she was told the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob, I have loved and Esau, I have hated. So again, um, Isaac and Rebecca have two sons. They have twins Um, and in their culture, the firstborn. Um, was always the one who was the heir, who was the, the inheritance, that was the chosen um, son who would carry on um, the family. And so um, God says, while um, Rebecca is still pregnant, that the older will serve the younger. Um, this idea that it was not going to be Esau, who was the, um, the promised line, but it was going to be Jacob. Um, and so again, because of nothing they did, there's nothing they did. It's just the, this is who God chose to be the line of promise. And again, he's showing how just because they were the sons of Isaac, doesn't mean that they were in the line of promise. So again, he's using these two examples to show how um, it is not just who your father is that determines um, whether you are um, saved and in God's family or not, because they thought, this is really important, they thought being Jewish would be enough. Um, Their brothers that did not believe in Christ Thought being Jewish was enough to save them. And so um, he's given two examples to say it's not about your flesh anymore, it's about your faith. Um, So he continues, verse 14 What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I show compassion. So then, it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God, who has mercy. For Scripture says to Pharaoh, "For this very purpose, I have raised you up, that I might show that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth." So then, he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whoever he wills. Who um, you will say to me then? Why does he still find fault? Who can resist his will? But who are you, O oh man, to answer back to God? What Will what is molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use?" What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy, which he has prepared beforehand for glory? Even us whom he called not from the Jews only, but also from the Gentiles, as indeed he says in Hosea, Those who were not my people, I will call my people and her who was not beloved, I will call beloved. And in the very place where it was said to them, you are not my people, they, there, they will be called the sons of the living God. Okay. I know there was a lot there, so I'm going to go back and kind of break it down, but I want to start with this because what do we know about God? We know that God is eternal. We know that he's timeless. We know he is creator. We know he's sovereign. We know he's omniscient. His omniscience is something I think we still very often think literally about. So we think God knows what's going to happen. So we talk about, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, but God knows. But God's omniscience is even bigger than that because he's timeless, because he is beyond time. And there's places in scripture in Psalm, um, I want to say it's Psalm. 90, where he talks about a day, a night watch is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a watch in the night. Um, He knows everything all at once. And so he knows what is happening now. He, as if he knows what's happening a thousand years from now, as if it is happening now, he can see everything in the whole big picture. So I want us to remember that God is not thinking linearly. He sees everything all at once because of his omniscience Um, and so this is one of these places where we're going to see um the importance of the context so um we have this quote where he says for i will have mercy he tells moses i will have mercy on whom i will have mercy and and i will have compassion on whom i have compassion now when we read that right now it looks like he's saying um listen i'll choose whoever i want to have mercy on and i'll choose who i want to have compassion on But that's not if you go back to the context what it means um if you'll think back some of y'all may have um done the stories of the wilderness study it's a that um i have um with feasting on truth that is a study of the israelites journey from egypt to the promised land and so um if you did that you'll recognize that this passage is taken from exodus 33 and this is just it's one chapter after. it's It is the events that happen right after the Golden calf. So, if you'll remember, God comes, He gives the Ten Commandments to the people. They agree to His covenant. Moses goes up the mountain for forty days. And while he's there, they get bored. They get fearful, and they make a golden calf to worship. Moses comes down. He's angry. He breaks the tablets. Um, and God says, "I'm done." Like, Y'all don't want me. You don't want me with you. That's fine. I will back out. And Moses goes to God and he begs him. He says, Listen, who are we if you do not go with us? If your presence does not go with us, like I don't want to leave here because there it is his presence. That makes them a special people. And he doesn't want that. And he begs God not to leave. And um then he says, um, he asks, he says, "Will you show me your glory?" And this is God's response. In Exodus thirty-three, seventeen 17 through 19. And the Lord said to Moses, this very thing that you have spoken, I will do for you have found favor in my sight. And I know you by name. Moses says, please show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you and proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. And so then he goes up the mountain in Psalm 34 God puts he puts him in the cleft of a rock God says you can't see Um, me and live, but I will cover you. I will pass before you and then you will remove my hand and you can see my backside. And as the Lord passes, he, he proclaims his name. He says, I am the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So quoting that verse would have brought up that entire story to them, um, that he that he's not necessarily saying that God's mercy depends on your deeds. Um, I don't think this, like I said, I don't think this is, a, I'm going to show mercy on who I want. I think this is his, This is Paul reminding them that God's name is mercy, that God's name is steadfast love, that God's name is gracious, um, and that he is ready to show mercy to all who will believe because he is mercy. Um, In that story, the Israelites had messed up again. And they continue to mess up over and over and over throughout the Old Testament. And God continues to show mercy and compassion to them, not because of anything they did, but because of who he is. He is a God who is merciful and compassionate and gracious. Um, And then we get to what is probably one of the hardest and most debated parts of this. And I will admit that the moment I said I would do Romans, um, I have been dreading getting to this point because it's hard and I don't always love dealing with hard things, but it's really important for us to remember. We can't just pick and choose the easy verses. We can't just pick the verses that make us feel good. Um, that we do need to endure through scripture and we need to come with open hands humbly before the Lord and, and beg him to teach. Um, I um, am not sure, like you can find all kinds of different interpretations for this passage. I don't know that we're gonna know the side of heaven, what God really intends. So this is my best attempt based on wisdom, um, based on the Holy Spirit, based on what I have studied and read over this past week um, with people who are much smarter than me. Um, I think at the core, Paul is answering the question, So if God knows, because remember, God has this knowledge, he knows who is going to choose to follow him and surrender and who is not. So I think the natural question that Paul is trying to answer is, well, if he knows that they're going to not follow him, why would he even create them in the first place? Um... I think it is a mystery of God that he is able to use the ungodly for his good purposes. And here he uses, um, Pharaoh as an example. And he says that he hardened Pharaoh's heart. Um, I, this is a passage that I think a lot of us struggle with because, um, you know, it, it sounds like God was basically puppet mastering Pharaoh, Um, I love my friend, Linda Aldridge, who I used to study with all the time. Um, and, um, I miss her a lot and I talk about her a lot. Um, she passed away in 2021, but, um, she always described, um, the hardening of Pharaoh's heart, like removing the cover from bread. So if you have a loaf of bread and you put it in a plastic bag or an airtight container, it stays soft, right? Right. But if you remove the cover over it, leaving it to its own devices, what happens? Or to the elements around it, it hardens. And so um, she always described God hardening Pharaoh's heart as as God removing the cover. And again, it sounds harsh, but let's remember that Pharaoh was not submitting to God. Pharaoh was not... um, surrendering to what the Lord was asking him to do and so it is not God's harshness it's God's justice that he would remove the cover from Pharaoh's heart and leave him to his own devices because we actually do read in Exodus eight fifteen and 32 that Pharaoh hardened his own heart first um, verse 15 when Pharaoh saw that there was a, a respite he hardened his heart and or, and would not listen to them as the Lord had said in verse 32 but Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also, and did not let the people go. Pharaoh was a a bad dude, and he was not choosing to surrender to God. And because of that, his heart was hardened. Um, I've talked about a lot, like knowing God, who He is, is what helps keep our hearts soft. And there's a lot of warning, um, within in Psalm 95, um, in Hebrews, um, chapter. Um, oh, this is going to totally test me. Um, I want to say Hebrews 3, talking about not hardening, hardening your heart. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Um, we must remain in his word. We must remain um, seeking his character in scripture because that is what allows us to be soft. If we stop doing that, we are at risk for hardening our own hearts. Um and so if you read this in context, I want this is another one that it's really important when we read it in context. Um, this verse that Paul quotes comes from Exodus nine. So I'm gonna read 14 through 17. Um, and this is what God is telling Moses to tell Pharaoh. So he says, for this time, I will send all my plagues on yourself and on your servants and your people so that they may know that there is none like me in all the earth. For by now, I could have put you out of my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence and you would have been cut off from this earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. You are still exalting yourself against my people and will not let them go. God is saying, and what Paul is helping them to remember is that God has said here, listen, I could have wiped you off. All right. I knew, I see that you are not surrendering. And when we do not surrender to God, when we sin, we, and this is what Paul has been establishing all throughout Romans, like without Christ, we're dead. We deserve death. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. If we will surrender and have, and put our faith in him. Um, God is after his own glory, And it sounds selfish, but that's because we have it in our human terms. But he is, again, remember, he is so much bigger. And what he's saying here is that he has allowed, he has been forbearing, he has been patient. Um, he has allowed Pharaoh to live despite his His lack of surrender to God so that he could show his power. And we see that in that stories from the wilderness study, um, how God took the people out of Egypt um, to, to bring them into the wilderness so that he could show them who he is. So he could display his power and his might so that they would trust in him. So they would see that he is the God who is jealous because our very best lies in full surrender to him. And so he works the purposes um, even of, of people who do not follow him for his own glory. Um, And then Paul uses imagery from Isaiah, um, this idea of the potter to kind of represent God's sovereignty, he, um, remember that idea, creator, what comes first is chief. Um, so the clay does not get to question the creator. Now I'm going to say this, uh, and I need to um, move on because um, there's so much in this passage. We have to be careful here. We have to remember that we choose sin, that when it says we don't get to question the way that the creator made us, God did not um, cause us to sin. He did not make us sinful. We choose sin. That is our own choice. And we do not get to excuse our own sin by saying God made me this way. Well, who am I to question the potter? He just made me this way. No, he intends that we become more like him. He intends that we become, um, more like, um, more perfect and, 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 removing that sin and separating ourselves from that sin. That sin is not God caused. And that sin is not representation of God. That is a representation of our own choice to put something else in the place of God. Um, so I really think this passage is more about, um, why, um, like, why would God make people who he knew would not choose him Um, Or um, that God made us even though he knew we would sin. Um, And I think that um, those verses 22 through 24 really show, you know, the the idea that he has endured with patience. Those he knew would not follow him in order to um, make known his glory to those he knows will surrender. Um, Those who he has prepared for glory, um, not only for the Jews, but also for the Gentiles. And then he quotes two verses from Hosea. Now I don't have enough time to go deep here, but if this is a place where you can do deeper study within your small groups, or, um, if you want to go back through this week, um, Hosea one and three y'all, both of these verses get quoted. Um, just real quick, the context of Hosea, um, Hosea was a prophet who God called to marry a prostitute. Um, And it is a picture, his marriage becomes a picture of Israel's um, relationship with God. One of the things we talked about in the stories from the wilderness study was about um, being on Mount Sinai um, and God establishing this covenant with his people is related to a Jewish wedding ceremony. And in particularly a ketubah, which was a contract between the husband and wife, kind of like a define the relationship. Like this is what we're going to be about. Um, and so God is the faithful husband and Israel is, um, the, the bride who continues to prostitute herself to be unfaithful to God, choosing their own way instead of God's way. Um, they literally did it within a couple weeks of, of the initial wedding ceremony um, with the golden calf. And they do it again in the days of Hosea. Um, But the book of Hosea is this beautiful picture of our faithful God who continues to remain faithful even when we are unfaithful, even when we choose sin, um, even when we um, can put someone out, something else or someone else in place of God in our life, that he continues to be faithful to us. And so Paul is saying, listen, in the same way that um, you were restored to God, so are the Gentiles. We are all brought close. We are his new multi-ethnic family. One of my favorite passages in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you have not received mercy, Now you have received mercy. And then Paul's going to tie to another um, verse in Isaiah, um, pick up in verse 27. And Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the seas. So that is a reference to Hosea 1.10. And then he's going to move into um, Isaiah. Only a remnant will be saved for the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay, as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts has not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah, so this is that reference back to God, he is merciful, he is gracious, he is abounding in steadfast love, he is forgiving, however, he will not clear the guilty, Um, and he will preserve a remnant he will preserve the line of promise if you do not choose to submit to god you're not covered um, salvation only comes by faith in jesus being born as a son or daughter of israel was not enough to save you your sin is still counted against you he is a god of justice um, and so often i think we read passages like this and we go well how can god be so mean but we have to remember If we do not choose to surrender to God, we cannot expect him to protect us. Um, We need to submit to him and surrender in faith to him and belief in Jesus Christ as our only means of salvation. Um, And then we're going to close out this chapter. He says, what then shall we say? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it. That is a righteousness that is by faith but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it in faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone as it is written, behold, I am laying a stone in Zion, a stone of stumbling, a rock of offense, and whoever believes in me will not be put to shame. Um, The Israelites continued to chase the works of the law as a means to get righteousness, and we cannot work our way to salvation. The whole of the Old Testament was pointing us to Jesus. The book of Hebrews um, lays this out beautifully. Um, God provided a cornerstone. He provided a foundation for our whole faith and they stumbled over it because they continued to do things their way. Um, I really like the way that the new living translation, um, translated uh, verses 31 and 32, but the people of Israel who tried so hard to get right with God by keeping the law never succeeded. Why not? Because they were trying to get right with God by keeping the law instead of trusting in him. They stumbled over the great rock in their path. They didn't trust God's way through Jesus. Um, I want to sum this up. we um, This is kind of my summary for this. We are saved by faith alone, no matter our heritage. The Lord withholds judgment. He allows those who surrender and those who do not to live longer, to accomplish his purpose for the glory of his great name. He is God and we are not. And I think this passage in the next two chapters, I think, remind me of this. Remember, this section is connecting the Old and New Testaments. The NIV Bible commentary says this, if we are to embrace the gospel, um, if they, so speaking of the Jewish people, if they are to embrace the gospel, they must see how it is truly the fulfillment of the Old Testament. Jewish Christians also need to be assured that their faith in Christ does not mean they have ceased to believe in the God of the Old Testament and of their Jewish Jewish heritage. But Gentile Christians must also see a connection between the Old and New Testaments. In the plan of salvation, they must see that their own faith has roots um, sunk deeply into the Old Testament soil. We need the Old Testament to understand God and to understand His plan, and so in the same way that they needed to, uh, the Jewish believers needed to see that the Old Testament, the New Testament was the fulfillment of the Old Testament, not the um, not the exclusion of it. We also need to see that the Old Testament is just as important, and it is not excluded as well. Um, one commentary that I was reading pointed to the Jews' trust in their in their position. And the law to save them. And I think this begs us to question too, um, are we doing the same thing? Are we putting our trust in anything else that isn't our God? Um, what idols are we continuing to turn to for getting us through life, um, for um, our salvation, for our, um, sometimes I call it a good life by works or a, a, a um, faith by works, where we believe that the more things we do for God, the more he owes us. Are there places that we are questioning the sovereignty of God? Our God is so patient. He is so awesome. He is so omniscient. He is so omnipotent. He is so merciful. He is so kind. He is so forbearing. He is so sovereign. He is so gracious. He is so compassionate. And he is so, 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 so faithful. Um, he, his faithfulness is not nullified by our unfaithfulness. And this passage reminds me that he is God and we are not as Isaiah 55 points to his ways are higher than ours. And his thoughts are higher. Um, you're probably going to hear me say this over the next three weeks each week, but, um, and I said it in my book, feasting on truth. I do not want a God that I can fully grasp because that seems far too small a God. And I think as we wrestle through these questions of God's sovereignty, um, I want us to continue to see who he is and remember um, who he is, a God who is merciful and gracious, who is slow to anger, who is abounding in steadfast love, forgiving transgression and sin and iniquity, but who will by no means clear the guilty, um, but will um, exact justice, um in his time i want to close with second peter 3 8 through 13 but do not overlook this one fact beloved that with the lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day the lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness but is patient towards you not wishing that any should perish but that all should reach repentance but the day of the lord will come like a thief And then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And since the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness uh, and godliness? waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Our Lord is coming. We know that he is faithful. And so let us pursue um, him Let us proclaim his gospel. Let us um, bring glory to his name in all that we say and do. Let us burn with a passion for the lost so that we can um, help bring more and more and more and more to him. So that one day we will all get to be where righteousness dwells in a new heaven and a new earth as his people. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, (laughs) you are just beyond all that i can even grasp and lord i want us to be okay with that i want us to know that we can trust you and that we can move forward even when we don't understand you lord we know that you know it all we know that you are jealous for us we know that you are faithful and merciful and kind and gracious and lord so let us remember who you are and let not satan rob us of um of any piece of you because of our own um, discomfort with not knowing everything. Lord, we are not called to be omniscient, um, but we can trust in your omniscience. Lord, I pray that as we continue to move into Romans 10, that we would continue to ask that question, what does this say about you and hold firmly to who you are, even when we are unsure um, of what something means. But God, let us um, rest in you because we know that you are good and that you are with us. Lord, guide us this week in our study time and it's in your name I pray, amen. Woo, (laughs) y'all, I know that was a lot. And i even cut out a great deal and i really wish that i had time to go deeper into those hosea passages and i really encourage you to do that to to read hosea 1 and 3. Um, there is so much richness in there about a god who restores us even when we continue to go astray At the end of the day, day, I think it's important that we cling to what we know to be true of God and not allow Satan a foothold in our doubt. It's okay that there are still mysteries about God. We will never reach an end to the knowledge of God. We will never arrive. My because God is statement this week is this. Because God is omniscient, I don't have to know everything. Y'all, we can trust him. We really can He is not holding out on us. So let's press deeper. Next week, we'll continue with chapter 10 and more about the state of Israel. I will see you next week.